Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the Eight Side Network. David Eckstein joins us on Sports Byline USA, former Major League shortstop who played 10 seasons with the Angels, Cardinals, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, and Padres. And he is one of only a few starting shortstops who have won a World Series in both the American and National Leagues. And with St. Louis, he won the 2006 World Series MVP award. He played his college ball at the University of Florida. And I noticed in uh, some of the notes that I had, you were voted most helpful in your class. Now, you got to help me out with that one, David. What does most helpful mean? <laughs> uh, I was the guy that was always nice, and I was nice to everybody. So if someone needed some help, I was the guy that would come around and, and, and help them, say hello to everybody. So I think that's why I was probably voted most helpful. <laughs> did, did you get any ragging on for that? Um, not not. Not really. No one really, because if you knew me and back um, when I went to school with all the, uh, I got along with everybody. <laughs> so I was just, it was anybody at the school I got along with. So it was just one of the things of, of basically who I am as a person. Tell me about growing up in Sanford, Florida. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. I was very fortunate to have two loving parents who both were teachers in the, in the, in the Seminole County school system, both taught in Sanford and went through that system with just a, you know, uh, understanding that school came first and then baseball second. And at that time, it was kind of when the hotbed started heating up for, you know, especially good baseball players in the Orlando area, and I kind of hit it at the right time. And I was very fortunate to have a, uh, a coach at a young age, Rod Ferguson, who basically took us under his wings and we weren't allowed to bring our bats to practice because we were going to learn the game. We we're going to learn the strategies of the game and how to play defense, and and go about it the right way. And because of that, at such an early age, it led on to high school. He followed us to Seminole High School in Sanford, which we were fortunate enough to win the state title in 1992. So you, it was the first baseball title. You were a two-time All-State selection, but yet you had to be a walk-on at the University of Florida. Now, now there's a disconnect there somewhere, David. Uh, I think it was my five foot. 
my overpowering frame, maybe the five foot <laughs> seven, you know, the hundred and fifty pounds. Yes, uh, and and back then, you know, you, you the recruiting process is so in front of you now. But back then, you just waited it around. And and my goals, I wanted a Division One school, so um, that was that was it. That was the only thing I was looking at. So I had college like write me letters, and if they weren't Division One, I, I really didn't even open them up. And I couldn't even tell you if I have any from like an NAI school, NAI school. But I know I had the local community college after at one point and so that was the only really offer but that was really late in it and basically there i was going to have to compete against my brother who didn't play second base because i was a second baseman at that time and my dad's like he's going to florida so yeah so that's how i ended up walking on at florida is there a silver lining to that type of story and what i mean by that david is the fact that uh nobody had expectations of you that you knew you had to overcome certain things and and so therefore you worked a little bit harder whereas i've heard too many of my friends in professional sports say that when a kid comes out of college no matter what the sport is they think that they're do something at the next level and they forget that they have to reprove themselves that that is such a great point and yes that was like my life lesson in the sense of all through my life. It's one of those things that when you have to earn it and you have to work for it where nothing's handed to you, it makes it so much more special. And that's the one thing I try to reinforce with the young kids I work with nowadays and throughout my career. It's like when you earn it, it means something. You don't want someone to hand it to you. And like you said, you see these young kids who have had success and they're given big scholarships or given big bonus money and they think they have accomplished the world. And it's like, you haven't done anything. You have to prove yourself at the next level. And so, yeah, definitely that was probably the bit, the best thing to happen to me, that nothing was ever handed to me, that I worked for everything. How were you, uh, as a first-time, two-time All-American, meaning academic All-American at the University of Florida, how hard was it to balance both sports and academics? Um, it, it, it was a difficult um, process, but understand this. Like, with, like I said earlier, with my parents being teachers, schools came first. And I was also, I was very fortunate to have my, my, my family up there with me. So at, at, at some point in time, at, during every one of my years at Florida, I at least had a brother and a sister there, if not everyone was there, you know. So by them being there and being there with me, also giving me the support, that also helped out. But, yes, it, it's something that it means a lot to me, um, school. And I definitely want to take seriously because, like, going back to nothing was ever given to me, I had a backup plan. I was going to be a lawyer, and I knew if I had that backup plan in the sense of I was going to school, getting good grades to accomplish something else, it makes, me, it makes it when I step on the baseball field so much easier because if it doesn't work out, I have something to fall back. So I'm not putting all this kind of pressure on me. Oh, man, if I fail, all I can go is back probably doing baseball lessons, and I did not ever want to have that. You were drafted by the Red Sox into the 19th round of the amateur draft. Put it into perspective for everybody, the difference between being a 19th round draft pick and somebody in the first or second rounds. Well, basically, a 19th round draft pick that year, I received my $1,000. My dad <laughs> my, you know, my dad asked, well, will they pay for your next school? And they're like, no, but he did get a hat out of it. So he was able to get a hat. So we got $1,000 and a hat. But, um, yeah, the first rounder, I think he got a little over a million, and right around a million. I think it was Mark Fisher that year. And so, but basically, um, I can say it, my first year I was there, um, so I go to short season A and leading the team in hitting, and they send a high mighty guy down, a third rounder down, and I got automatically put on the bench. <laughs> and I was told 
that, that baseball's not fair, but I'll try to get you in. This was Dick Berardino, my first manager, who was outstanding. And basically, um, the guy got injured, so I got back in the game because um, he had to go on the DL. And then after that point when he came off, I was still leading the club but earned, earned my starting spot. Why don't you also talk about what the minor leagues are truly like? I mean, I was just watching Bull Durham the other night, <laughs> and I love that movie. And, and, you know, Bang the Drum Slowly is another one. It's a classic baseball movie as well. But when I think about the minors, and one of my great things is going around the country, and if I know that the town has a minor league team, uh, like the River Dogs down in Charleston, South Carolina, I just love going to minor league baseball. Yeah, and and and. They are so close. It's so interactive. The fans are great. Great. They love you. I had the opportunity, like I said, I played. I started my first year in Lowell, Massachusetts, where you know the fans were just. They were coming. They were showing up at an alumni field. It was basically the the park field. They showed up, and now they got this great, wonderful stadium there. Um, but the fans were awesome. Then go come down to um, Sarasota with Ed Smith Stadium. That's the historic stadium down here and then go to Trent, New Jersey, where the fan base is unreal, to Paul Tuckett. I mean, I was, I was kind of blessed to go through the minor league cities that I were able to be at, that it is such a great hometown feeling of baseball where the fans show up, and they just love the game. And it's a great entertainment value for the, for the, for the especially the fan. And so that's the one thing. It's, it's, it's like these kids nowadays, yeah, the minor leagues are tough. They're very tough, and there's so many guys but the but the ability to play in some of these new stadiums and some of these places it builds character but also it gives you that op- opportunity that little taste of what it might like to be in the major leagues and you were selected off of waivers by the angels that was in 2000 but 2002 was a special year for you it was the championship year for the for the angels uh, the Anaheim Angels and you also led the majors with three grand slams now you you said how small you were in stature that kind of belies that when you had three grand slams how did that happen oh it was kind of the strangest thing yes the first one happened it was extra innings we had been playing for i think it was around like the 12th inning or something like that and came up bases loaded and and got a pitch, you know, just trying to, I think, like, you know, just get a hit and the ball goes out. It's kind of funny when you do that. And then the very next day, get up, bases loaded, in the second, in my second at bat, and hit another one. And you got to understand, like, the ball went over the fence both times, barely by about a foot. I had, I had the one spot at Anaheim I could hit the home run at. And so those were the first two, and then I added another one about a couple weeks later. But, yes, it was one of those things that – uh, they 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 all combined. They barely got out, <laughs> but um, it was able to get it done. So I don't know. I, I enjoy hitting with the bases loaded. <laughs> we have about a minute before we have to break here, okay. David. But I'm wondering, uh, is there anything that surprised you about baseball at the major league level as compared to what you thought it might be like? Um, what surprised me, uh, the the. The biggest thing that I that didn't really surprise me that, but I would like to tell to the thing is the fact that it's the same game that you played as a little kid. That's the biggest thing. It's that mental that mental jump. People make it on such a high high level. Oh my gosh, I can never play there. But it's everything that goes between your head. If you can take yourself back to your little league game, to your high school game, to your college game, it's the same game. 
And I think it's a little bit quicker, but it's the same game. So that was the biggest thing that once I saw that, I was like, hey, I can play this. And so that was probably the biggest thing. And I try to pass on to the younger kids today. I think one of the other things that you realized is uh, keep it simple. And you kept it that way. (laughs) Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, yeah, K-I-S-S. Hold on just a (laughs) second, David. We're talking baseball with David Eckstein. And a little bit later on, we're going to talk also about a company that he has with his wife, which is just a wonderful collaboration. And I think you'll really love hearing this story. We'll also talk about his two World Series championship seasons as well. And we do that as we continue across the country and around the world with you on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. David Eckstein has joined us here on Sports Byline. I alluded to your first of two World Series championship seasons. That was in 2002. You win the World Series over the San Francisco Giants. And that was a very interesting series because you guys had to win the last two games. First of all, take me through the season. What were the the real key focal points of that season for the Angels? And then let's talk about the World Series a little bit. Yeah, well, the biggest thing starting off, we started out so slow so slow and and basically we were in seattle and we never like my first year we didn't win in seattle we had lost the first two games and basically darren erstead and troy percival called everyone in and basically stood up held was going to hold everyone accountable that we are a great club and that we um need to start playing like one and we all believe in ourselves and they believe in us and they're going to hold us accountable to our play and from that that day on we went out and and won probably our first game that, that I was there in Seattle. And from that point, we took off. So to me, that was one of the key moments that, that really launched us into the run we went on. Because if, if everyone remembers, that's the year that Oakland went on their streak. And during their streak, I think we were 19-3 and three in that same time span. And so that was a big key for us. And then, and then I mean, we showed up. There was a – Seattle was coming back to us. And the the Angels set up what they call the Sea of Red, and they asked everybody to show up in red. And basically that series back home, everyone showed up in red and basically sold out the stadium. We swept the Mariners, and we were on our way. So those were like two of the key points that, that really stick out to me um, with our club. And then, like you said, Mike, Mike, Mike Sosha, you know, his confidence in our club, his ability – to play that national-style game with us suited us so well. And we knew how to put pressure on the defense, which led us, you know, all the way, all the way through the World Series. 
One of the things I've always believed, and David, if I'm wrong about this, feel free to correct me, is that I think catchers who become managers are probably, uh, from a position standpoint, the best because they understand all the nuances and everything about the game. So when they do go into managing, they're able to multitask a little bit better. Am I correct in that observation? You are definitely, and especially someone like Mike Socher, even the catchers he brings in, I mean, their number one job is to concentrate on the pitchers. And that's the one thing, like, um, a position player kind of lacks in the sense of when they step into that role as manager, do they really understand the pitchers? And the catchers have to know both sides of the ball, knows when the, when the pitcher's getting tired, what move to make. And, yes, I, I 100% agree with you. They, they put themselves in an elite class, you know, once you start talking about manager candidates, and I think we've been seeing that. Um, within Big League Baseball right now. Let's talk about Game 6 of that World Series against the Giants. The Giants are within five outs of winning the World Series championship, but not to be. You guys come back. What was the key point in that game, and also how did it lead into Game number 7 that you guys won? Well, I mean, I'll go back on the bus ride home um, after we got back from San Francisco the night before, and it was basically if you could sign a contract at the beginning of spring training to say that you're going to be down 3-2 to two going into game six and you're coming home, would everyone on this bus sign that contract? And everyone was like, yes. You know, so it was one of those things that this is where we want it to be. And, I, I mean, everything, everything was on Spezio's at-bat. That was a, an amazing at-bat that he had, fouling off pitch after pitch and then getting the pitch to be able to – hit the homer that just brought everything you know together like this this was going to be our time and then followed it up um and uh next inning Ersty leads off for the homer and then gloss gets the big hit and so yeah that game six was amazing and it was you know probably probably one of the best games i've ever been in and it also set up the win in game number seven i think from that point on you guys had the belief nobody's going to beat us we did i mean you hate to say it but that was a huge momentum swing in the game, and we were very confident going into Game 7. And we were very fortunate enough to, like you said, follow through on that. But, yes, we were very confident that we had a good chance to win. You know, I've always wanted to ask this question, and I've never had the opportunity to ask it, but uh, the Thundersticks that were down down there in Anaheim for the World Series and everything, it would drive me nuts as I was watching the World Series. But what was it like to be down on the field and hear that that racket? Well, because that was the same year that we had to go to Minnesota, you know, and A.J. Przinsky said how loud Minnesota was going to be and everything like that. I promise you this. I've never, like, we played, it was game three versus the Yankees. Uh, I'm not, no, yeah, let me say. Yeah, game three against the Yankees. We played the first two at at their park they came to us and i after that game was over my ears were ringing so bad because i think we were down like five to one that game and we were able to come back and win and like if that and 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 i couldn't believe the lack of hearing i had on an open-air stadium for what was being made with those thunder sticks and i was talking to my my family in the stands who, you know, were had had a pair and they said it was just so loud with a blast, people walking by, hitting people and everything like that. Just such a joyous, 
joyous type of things. I know they were very annoying to people at home or maybe the opposing <laughs> fans, but as a player, like I still get excited to go to the game and you see a Thunderstick. A lot of players have told me over the years, no matter what the sport is, that when they get traded the first time from their original organization, it's somewhat traumatic. That happened to you in 2004 <laughs> when you were traded to the Cardinals. What was your reaction to it? Yeah, I was actually let go by the Angels. I was non-tendered. Okay. And so, yes, I. Um, it's a little like shocking a little you know everyone believes they're going to play for the team that that they started with the whole time and to receive the phone call that you're not going to be there anymore that they're going in a different direction yeah it was very um, very matter of fact and i'm i'm a type of person that if that's the way you feel okay but the funny thing within three days i had i had signed a three-year deal with the st louis cardinals and there was a new beginning so it went from you know, at that, and another thing that people didn't know, at that same time, my dad was in ICU. So there was bigger things going on in my life than just about the baseball thing. And I knew with my faith that things were going to work out. So it was something that was, yes, I understood it, but it was more on the back burner. I was more worried about my dad. Having been non-tendered, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I know you're unassuming, but I think you'll be very honest with me. Uh, how did you feel about 2005 when you were voted to the National League All-Star team then? <laughs> <laughs> it was, if I could tell you what actually I was, I was told by, by Mr. Stolman, yes, it was very satisfi- um, satisfying to, to make it to the All-Star team, be voted in, and then, you know, subsequently what happened in 2006. So, yes. Uh, I'm not a revengeful person. I'm, you know, I mean, I, I even to this day I do stuff with the Angels, and we're in the meetings together. I actually stand next to Bill Stoneman when I'm in the um, when I'm in the, um, the the morning meetings when I'm in spring training with them, and we have a good laugh. Yeah, tell me about the the other teammates uh, on the All Star team because I mean uh, this was the essence of the St. Louis Cardinals: Chris Carpenter, Albert Pujols, Jason Isringhausen, and Jim Edmonds. I mean, being in on the same team and also playing in an All Star game with guys like that was there a little bit of awe in you, David? It was, and I think didn't we have Roland as well? Yes, yes, yeah. you did. And I mean, and to basically send basically um, half your club to there. You're definitely in awe playing with the, with these great players around you i was i was you know it's every little kid's dream and don't get me wrong i'm not yes it was very nice to be an all-star but that's not my thing but to actually be be able to be a part of it then it becomes really cool you know because i was always more the team guy type of player but having to stand there in the locker room you know maddox was there that year uh, and just being with some of the guys that you actually watched growing up as a kid to be in there with them and playing in this game it was uh, definitely a memory I will never forget. You have been labeled a pesky hitter, and I know Tony Gwynn, Gwynn the late Tony Gwynn, who uh, I had many conversations about this. You're the type of guy that pitchers hate because you're going to put the bat on the ball. And I saw a stat in which uh, you struck out only 305 times and a total of 22 in 2007. I know you choked up on the bat two to three inches, but what was your philosophy of hitting, giving your stature, position you played, the expectations of where you were in the lineup? Well, well, First and foremost, uh, like in the offseason, I, I trained myself to be able to, you know, I worked very hard on, on learning how to make contact with the baseball. And so, and, and so that was something that was really my focus, like how can I barrel the ball to my best of my ability, but also foul off pitches and do other things. I wanted to be the best bunner. I wanted to be the best hit-and-run guy. So I worked on that all the time on the contact. 
then I wanted to feel comfortable with two strikes. That was my number one goal because I did not want to fear getting two strikes because I knew I was the type of hitter that needed to have guys pitch, throw a lot of pitches because that was the only way my value would go up as a major leaguer, the more I can make their pitch count rise and still and still be very, very, you know, be able to put solid contact on the ball. I thought that was my biggest strength. My biggest strength was I, I felt like I covered the whole zone, that I did not have to cheat. I didn't have to look outside or inside. I trusted my swing, and I, from a, a mindset I got mad at myself when I swung at a ball before two strikes, but after I got two strikes, I didn't care if I swung at a pitch that was two inches off. David Eckstein is with us, and we're going to talk about the World Series Championship in St. Louis, which was a very interesting series as well, and we'll talk about a business he and his wife have called Her Universe. It's fascinating. We've got you on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. David Eckstein has joined us here on Sports Byline USA. We've been talking through his career, starting out with the Angels after being drafted by the Red Sox, but released by them, and he was claimed off of waivers by Anaheim, wins a World Series championship there, and then he signs with the Cardinals and does the same thing in St. Louis. And I mentioned about you being a pesky hitter. Did you have any thought at all that you would have the World Series that you did for the Cardinals? (laughs) I love the games. I love big games, and I just wanted to put myself in a situation to help the club win. And, you know, it was my, it was my thought to ever, like, be World Series MVP. I can promise you I didn't think that. Never. I, all my dreams always was to be world champions. And so the series that ended up, and I always say this, especially during that, Sizi, that series, what, what Yadier Molina did behind the plate with our pitching staff and also offensively, and what Scott Rowland did as well, it could have went to any one of us. Tell me a little bit about Tony LaRusso. Now, I know him very well, and I remember him saying to me one time, David, when he was with the Oakland A's, he said, I look at the season in three segments. When we come out of spring training, right after the trading deadline, and then the final month of the season. He was a guy that broke down things that way. But the thing I always liked about him in a discussion I had with him is he said, I never manage for today. I manage for the next game, the next series, the next week. I think that's one of the things that made him so special. It definitely does. The one thing about Tony, he's always planning out his next move. And so people might not understand, well, why are you giving this guy a day off right now as opposed to, oh, just keep running him out there. And it's because of this, because of this, because of this, because I need him to be ready for this day. And, I, and, and so that's one of the things that, that – I don't know if people realize because he looks like he's so into game mode and he's making these moves and everything that he does. But what people don't realize, those moves have already been made probably the night before. It's something that he has already thought about, and he's also setting up the next day. And that was the one thing. That's why you see a lot of players who go play for him that their careers go up because he really understands their, their levels, their talents, and puts them in situations to be successful. And I think that's, I mean, that's why he's a Hall of Fame manager. Uh, also, what was the key to the chemistry between him and Dave Duncan? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, he trusted Dave, and I think that's the biggest thing with a coaching staff is the ability to have the trust in, in what, what they bring to the table. And the one thing that Dave Duncan does, he can break down a hitter better than anybody else. And he trusted him with the pitching staff. He actually, that's who we got our defensive alignment from. 
and, and having that trust and knowing that, that that's what he can bring to the table, which allows Tony to focus on what he's supposed to do, managing the game, managing all that, it brings a calmness to the whole staff. And their their connection was one, and it was so, you know, masterful. Like, even, like, the funny thing is, um, like, players, position players are never allowed in on Dave Duncan's meetings. I mean, he had his own book. He did his own film study. He watched all the hitters. If a hitter, he probably, if a hitter was consistent in the big leagues, he had watched at least his previous 100 at-bats and and broke them down from, from his own standpoint. But we were never allowed in. He had a secret book that we were never allowed to see. Only the catchers and the pitchers could see it. There was always an interesting relationship between the fans in St. Louis because, uh, really, the Cardinals are not a St. Louis team. They're a regional team where they draw from all over the place. And there was an easy connection there. And I always felt that was one of the things that made Albert Pujols, in addition to the great talent he has, so successful, the comfort factor. Am I right about that? It definitely does. It definitely does. When you when you suit up in St. Louis, it, it, it's a different experience than any other place that you play. Basically, the 25th man on the roster is well-known throughout the city. They really love every single play that put it on. And then you show up and you have these, you have these fans that just cheer you. So, yeah, definitely that comfort factor, and it, it helps players play. When you, know, when you go out there, you're not worrying about being booed or, or anything else except trying to win. And it also raises your love for the city, and you try to, I mean, you want to win for them. I know in 2007 was one of my toughest years, and it wasn't because, you know, that we were losing. I felt bad. I felt like I let down the fans, you know, because they come out, they spend their hard-earned money to show up and support us, and you want to put a winning product on the club. So that was probably one of my toughest years because we just weren't winning for them. When you won the MVP in the 2006 World Series, it was interesting because you started 1-11 and in the first two games, and then you caught fire, went 8-for-22, four RBIs, scored three runs in the series, included going 4-for-5 with three doubles in game number four. I, you know, you've got to explain this to me. What What is it that changes about a player that allows them to have that type of performance when they struggle when they start off? Well, I mean, we were in, we were in Detroit, and freezing cold, and it was just... I, I mean, my first, my first, I was making solid contact, so it wasn't the fact that I wasn't, I was striking out or anything like that. I just were hit, was hitting that people. And so, like, my confidence always stays high, especially at the plate. And we were one and one. We had tied the series up. And it was one of those things that I, I knew I was going to perform. And so, I, um, nothing really changed, except, I mean, if you watch some of those hits, I found some holes. I mean, I had, I mean, I think Curtis Granderson fell down on one ball. You know, I hit a ball, like, right over third base. So it actually was just where, where guys were not at. And so nothing really changed. Um, and the one thing, I was so, as me as a player, I always stayed in the moment. I did not care about what happened in the past, and I wasn't trying to predict the future. So even though my start was what it was, I promise you it did not affect me uh, the least big mentally going into game three. What is your favorite moment about that 2006 World Series? Uh, besides beside the, the, final, the final pitch by Wainwright. Right. Um, beside, I mean, I, I enjoyed that, that last double in game four, too, because I actually I was on a phone conversation early in the day just talking about, you know, with some young kids, and they're asking me about, oh, you might have to face Zamaya. And I was like, you know, I might be. You know, and I, I, I welcome that challenge. And then to basically be in that situation later that night and being able to come through, that was a pretty cool moment. 
I always think it's interesting for pro athletes who have been doing something for double-digit years like you did for 10 seasons to come to that point in their career and in their life where they have to make the tough decision. Do I continue on, maybe make a pretty good, pretty big paycheck, or do I move on with my life? Take me through it for you. Yeah, you mean my goal, my goal from the beginning was to get 10 years in. And at that point, I was going to make a decision whether I was going to continue on. Well, my wife started this company, and it was called Her Universe. It was going to be year two of the business. I was getting old. Let's be, I mean, let's be honest. My body was breaking down every single year, and I hated that. I felt like I, the worst thing I hated to do was go on the, on the DL, you know, collecting a paycheck and doing nothing for the club. And so it was one of those things, and I always wanted to go out when people still wanted me. So it was, it was all coming to a head, got my 10th year in, and actually I kind of knew it. I kind of knew it. it was inside me. And before the season started, I told my wife I thought this was going to be my last year. It might be, and during the season, I said it was. And knowing that I had something else to go to, what many fans did not understand was my wife started this company, but she she was a full-time actress and basically kind of gave that up to follow me the second half of my career. And she really put me first. And at this point in time, she had started this business, and it was time for me to put her first. So actually, it was kind of an easy, easy decision in me to be able to say, okay, I'm good. Uh, I can walk away from the game. And the next thing, I have something to do basically every day. So I'm not like thinking about, okay, baseball this, baseball that. I love the game. Any chance I get to be around it, I'm at a baseball field and working with young kids. But it was something that I didn't need to go back and step on the field to prove anything to myself or anybody else. Yeah, it was kind of eye-opening for you in another way, too, when you used to go to the conventions with your wife. And I might point out to people, the name of the company is Her Universe, a very successful company that produces a fashion and accessory line for female sci-fi fans. But what was it like when you were following with her to the conventions? (laughs) That was the eye-opening. You asked me what was the biggest thing, (laughs) surprise, basically. (laughs) Probably my 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 first convention, and I was still saying... Uh, that the lightsaber in Star Wars was a, a life saver. <laughs> I really thought it was because it saved lives. <laughs> and um, so my wife was about like, you got to be kidding me. So, but just to go in and meet these people and to see to see their lifestyles, the worlds they live in, and and go, oh my gosh, they are exactly like sports fans. They're so passionate passionate about what they believe in, what 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 sci-fi show. What, what video game, they're so passionate about it, and to see them and interact, and they're so kind, so kind. And so actually, um, like, being able to be a part of that, it, it was eye-opening to me, but then it was like, at the end of the day, um, we have a good time now at these conventions. One of the things that I always appreciate about people, uh, especially those that become successful, David, is that they're not afraid to fail, and that certainly yeah. was the case with you and your wife, Ashley, and, and it was said, similar to David's career, she said, we really had to defy the doubters and defy the odds. The giants in the industry, they wanted to squash us. What kept you guys going? What was the main philosophy that allowed you to continue on in light of the competition? Yeah, um, for, for, the, for the company and the business, the one thing that we have that no one else has, we have a face. My wife is actually on, on some of these sci-fi shows, so she has a face, and she takes a, a, a full vested interest in the business in the sense that, and she says that her mission is, her mission is, I don't care if you come and buy a T-shirt. She wanted to build a, a safe community for fangirls because out there prior there were some of these, you know, people had, to, like, especially females, 
they actually had to pose as man if they want to play on certain video games or if they want to give their opinion on certain certain sci-fi things and that's where she wanted to build so i think that was the biggest thing for her that she goes it's not about the money it's not about you know worrying about these other companies it's us building this community for these people and in turn that's why she wasn't going to let it fail because she has so many young girls out there they they set up on these forums and they have a safe place we met with probably about 20 of them at disney this past year and that's what she was doing it for and so because of that that's why she won't give up she won't quit and and it puts us ahead of these other companies and she's always so thinking you know the one thing that in life and she has learned now you tell you know you tell either me or my wife we can't do something, oh, my gosh, we'll go to the ends of the world to prove you wrong. And that's what we do. What are the correlations uh, that you learned in the business of baseball and playing baseball that you've been able to apply to business? Uh, how to get along with the team. You know, first and foremost, we, had, we teamed up with the Rocker Group. They're basically the largest provider of merchandise for, the, for Broadway. And so we teamed up with them. So, first of all, how to get along with how to get along with with working with other people and making sure that this is the right fit and everything like that. But then also going into these meetings, a meeting for me now is like basically you're, you're sitting there going into, you know, a playoff game. All right. We we're trying to get this, these people to take our clothing, um, to be on our board, like our number one retailers hot topic. I remember sitting in that meeting and you, the adrenaline pumps, you're like, okay, we got to sell ourselves. And so that's fun. And then going to these conventions, the sale, oh, my gosh. Like at Disney Star Wars Weekends or at San Diego Comic-Con, all these conventions, you know, the, the, the thought of a sale to be able to sell something, to like make sure that we fit for the people. So that's where it's kind of a different type of uh, thing. But the, the competition I have on the field, I can take into that, into the realm on, on these convention days. We only have a little over a minute left, but are you surprised that you played as successfully as you did and as long as you did? Because you once said, my arm looks terrible. I still hate watching myself throw on old highlights. <laughs> yeah, I still don't. I, I, I can't stand the way I throw. I, can take, I, I have this inner belief. I believe I could do anything, and especially within the game. The game is the greatest game in the world because it allows all different types of players on the field that can help a club win. So I fully believe that I could, but I just look so awkward doing it, and I wouldn't tell anybody to especially throw the way I ever threw <laughs> and, and the way I look. But that just shows you that But anything's, anything, anything's possible, especially with the greatest game in the world. Was it hard for you to take off the uniform for the last time? To be honest, I, I, knew, I knew I was doing it. I knew I was doing it. And so – and – I'm going back earlier, like I said, I'm very, I'm very realistic when, you know, the Angels let me go. I knew this was going to be my last time, but I knew I was going to enter a different realm. I still have the ability to put the uniform on um, at some point in time, you know, but it's just not going to be me running out on the field playing a position. You'll like those old-timer games. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I did one last. I did one this past year at the Hall of Fame. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I, don't know. I want to thank you, David. This has been a fascinating story and a very inspirational story as well. Congratulations on the success not only in baseball with two World Series championships, but also with the success that you're having with your wife and her universe. Uh, come back and join us anytime here on Sports Byline, David. 
I appreciate it. Thank you, Ron. David Eckstein with us again, former Major League shortstop who played 10 seasons with the Angels, Cardinals, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, and Padres, and also one of only a few starting shortstops who have won a World Series in both the American and the National Leagues with the Angels and also with the Cardinals. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to the Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.